Welcome to the Go Time Podcast. Go Time Podcast. With your host, Todd Martin. Really glad to get you on. Um, and yeah, I guess my biggest reason to ask to get you on um, is really twofold. Um, part of my podcast that I do is uh, I call it the Todd Father. And, um, and it's because uh, I've felt like over the years that um, I want to be able to speak into my kids' lives. And I don't know, you know, you don't know what the plans are, right? So mm -hmm. I don't know where I'm going to be at, if I'm going to even be here, when my daughters walk across, you know, and to get married or, yeah. you know, all kinds of stuff, right? And sure. so I have sure. the opportunity, crazy as it is, to be able to record some of this stuff mm -hmm. so that I can, um, I can hopefully, I can talk in their lives um, yeah. later on and keep this I'll, on here. Yeah. And then there's a lot of kids that don't, that don't have a dad. And right, don't have right. somebody that is interested in being able to tell and tell them truth. So, mm. um, because of that, I have, um, I've really wanted to be able to share, I don't know, the life experiences, but also be mm -hmm. able to talk to them and give them an opportunity to see things and hear from people that, um, that they may not be able to hear mm. and, um, and be able to speak into some of their lives. Um, and so somebody like you, who um, I think uh, I think what you do, like I see, so for me and the horses, um, kids don't know how to get to the point of being a horse trainer, right? And they just don't even know where to start. And so it's kind of one of those weird jobs that you don't know how you get there. Um, and I would think like it's a little bit of the same with with your job um, is is that it's like how so how do you how do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you get there? Sure. I mean, you just yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you go to college or yeah, you know, you go and study, but like, how does that become, yeah. how does that become a, 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 uh, a career? And so mm -hmm. how did, how did Chad Bird get to where he's at? Like, where did it start? That'd be, yeah, it'd be a, be a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, so a lot tell of... me about it. How did you get there, Chad? Yeah. So, uh, well, I have to go far back. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, a, I'm 52, uh, and uh, took me a while to get here. And it was, a, it was by no means kind of a straight line from, from A to Z. Uh, way this started out with, with, so what I do now is I work for 1517, which is a not Christian nonprofit, and I'm what they call a scholar in residence. Uh, and I teach basically Old Testament, uh, go around speaking at congregations, and I write about a book a year, and I have podcasts and do all things Old Testament related, uh, including working with the Hebrew and the Greek and using that to, to tell people about the scriptures. So the way I got here was, uh, well, I, I guess, depending on how far back you want to go, I mean, I was, I was, I cut my teeth on the Old Testament stories in Sunday school. So, you know, I grew up hearing about the walls of Jericho falling down and David killing Goliath and Daniel praying in the lion's den, you know, all those your typical uh, Sunday school stories. And then uh, when I when when I graduated from from high school and decided to go on to college, uh, I went what was called a pre-seminary route, which means I took a lot of classes that would help me once I got to seminary. And part of that was was Greek and Hebrew, so I had a great Greek prof, uh, and uh, he instilled in me a love of the original languages. In this case, Greek, reading the New Testament in its original, and then also had a year of Hebrew. Now I didn't really. <laughs> 
it might surprise people that know me, but I didn't fall in love with Hebrew right away. Uh, it took me, uh, it took me two or three years and, and I kind of fell in love with Hebrew through the back door, you might say, because what happened first was I had a prof that, that showed me that the old Testament isn't as it were, just the period of waiting for Jesus, that he's already there. He's speaking of himself and he's appearing in the old Testament. And that opened up a new way of understanding the old Testament for me. And because of that. And, and you do that like really well in, in your teaching. Like I see that a lot that I think that's the big difference for me on like why I've, I've kind of gotten drawn to listening to a lot of stuff that you, that you um, put out there is because um, you know, like a, a lot of what we learned as kids, right. In Sunday school mm -hmm. growing up, um, Christ wasn't interjected into it. Like you hear the story mm. of, of Abraham and the sacrifice and sacrificing, but all the correlations between those, like that wasn't, that wasn't taught, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't, no. <clears throat> Christ wasn't so interjected into the old Testament, the way that I hear it and the way you pull it out is yeah. like, so that you had a professor that did that is incredible. You know, yeah, that's how yeah. somebody has to put that out in front of you that you just don't see it. And you see, it wasn't like it was hidden from them. It was in front of their eyes the whole time. And we, like, I think that's a crazy part is that that's not how I was. It was presented to me either. Yeah. It was, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's it kind of like, like he was there the whole time. Like they had that they um, were saved the same way as I am. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it's the like, craziest part that I didn't know. It's, it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, once you, you didn't see something, but now that once you see it, you can't unsee it. You see like it everywhere. It's kind of like, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, uh, is it, the, what's the movie, The Sixth Sense, you know, where you get to the very end and you're like, yeah. wait, what? And you got to go like watch the whole movie again. And then when you rewatch it, you're like, oh, how did I not see it exactly. the first time? It's kind of like that. So once you get that, that, that epiphany that Christ is present, in the Old Testament, and you you go back to Genesis when you start to read it, you're like, oh, there he is, oh, there he is, there he is, there he is. So that's what it was for me. And then what happened was, okay, I fall in love with the Old Testament. I'm thinking, well, I really need to I need to work on my Hebrew. <laughs> so uh, that started, and then uh, before you knew it, I also began to realize that hey, this isn't like at least in my circles, it, it, there weren't a whole lot of people doing what I was doing because most people most people were like. Either they didn't even take Hebrew, or if they did, they just you know took it to pass the pass the cl class and then you know on with what more important things. So I thought you know I'm going to really work on this. I'm going to get good at it. I'm going to I'm going to hone this craft so that uh, I'm going to be an expert in this field. And that's basically what I did. I I just my favorite phrase is uh, for for this kind of thing is a long obedience in the same direction. So it's not like I decided uh, one week, I'm going to really learn Hebrew. And by the next week, man, I was an expert. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like the next year or the ne or three years later. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's the same with any craft. If you're going to get good at something, if you're going to get really good at something, well, you're not going to be able to devote a week or a month or a year to it. It's going to be a long time, years, decades, because the more that you sink yourself into it, the, the better you're going to understand the minutiae, the better you're going to understand the big picture, all these various details. So it's kind of a lifelong project or something like this. So with me, that ended up uh, 
going from seminary, I was a pastor for a while. Then I was actually hired by the seminary where I'd been a student to be a professor. So I, I did that. And in the meantime, I went to Hebrew Union College, which is a Jewish seminary. I studied with with uh, rabbinic Jewish scholars. And uh, then just over the years, uh, there's more to my story, but over the years, I just kept working at it. And so, for instance, what I do now is I read through the, the Greek New Testament uh, every year. So every morning I spend some time in Greek, every morning I spend some time in Hebrew. And then I'm able to, to use my knowledge to, to teach the scriptures and to bring out nuances in the original languages that you can't see in the, in the translation. But here I am, I'm 52. I started when I was in my early twenties. So we're looking at three decades that I have been trying to, to hone my craft and to get better, not just at kind of the study part, but also how do you teach this? You know, there's, how do you, how to communicate this both verbally as well as just writing about it, whether it's a short post on Facebook or whether it's a long book that, I, that I've written, there's various ways to approach this. So it's uh, it's that long obedience in the same direction. It's kind of, it's that stick with itness that ultimately pays off, but it does require a lot of time, a lot of commitment, a lot of just kind of putting your nose to the grindstone and, and sticking with it. Uh, and like I said, it's whether you're a mechanic or whether you're a horse trainer or whether you're a, a school teacher or whether you're a scientist, whatever your field is, you know that to be good, really good at something, then you're going to have to put in the extra time to be able to accomplish that. So I'm, I'm curious. Um, I've heard you say not too long ago that you are, you drove a truck for like 15 mm -hmm. years or so. And yeah. So I'm wondering how I know for as a as a horse trainer, right? It's one thing to be able to to be able to do it myself to be a competitor, mm -hmm. um, and and that's through the you know the banging around of figuring it out and taking the amount of time in order to learn my craft. But then it took a lot of outside experience to be able to teach that. So in order for me to teach somebody else how to ride a horse, it's one thing if I'm really good at riding horses, really good at training horses, but to convey to somebody else, there has to be like a medium, a middle ground, right? I had mm -hmm. to be able to, to talk to them in their language. It's one thing if, if I know how to speak horse, right? But if yeah. I can't, yeah. uh, if I can't take and, and make that make sense to you with your world experience, Mm -hmm. makes it really hard for me. I'm not a good teacher. I can have a ton of knowledge, but yeah. I'm not, I'm really not a good teacher. And so I wonder like, because you've had some outside jobs and other things mm -hmm. for a world experience, how did that come into play for you to become such a, I mean, as someone who actually can, can convey to somebody else and, and reveal things to other people that you've, you've studied and you know, mm -hmm. but there's, when you're present, when you give your presentation, there's a middle ground, right? Like that. I can, yeah, I can sure. relate to that. It's not just somebody, it's not just somebody that speaks on a scholarly level that has no correlation, no relation to the world that other people live. And, mm. and I think that makes a really good teacher. So how did that come into play for you? Does it, or does it? Yeah, no, I, I, I think it does. So I, first of all, I, so I grew up uh, on the farm and ranch. So, I mean, I, I grew up among just regular, hardworking, blue-collar blue -collar people. Uh, my job in high school was working at a feed store. My dad was a, my dad raised horses, as, we, as we've uh, discussed before. So I grew up uh, a steer roper. 
so I was around just everyday people growing up. And then uh, when I, I when I stepped out of the academy for a while, yeah, I was driving a truck. And I did that for I, I did that first in the oil field. And anyone who's worked in the oil field knows that uh, there's some pretty colorful characters in, in, in the oil field. Some of, them, some of the most uh, colorful people that I have ever been around were my uh, my coworkers in the Texas Panhandle where I was uh, driving a truck in the oil and gas fields. So being around them uh, was a great experience for me because again, these are just, these are everyday people. These are, these are hardworking uh, blue collar people who don't speak the language of the Academy, but they're good you know, storytellers, they, uh, but they're good storytellers. Yeah. yeah. And so you, when you're around people that are coming from different perspectives or different educational levels or just different interests, then, and you're communicating with them and they with you, well, that, that sharpens your ability to communicate because, you know, you don't want to be speaking in a way that's, you know, kind of just different, way different than everybody else. You want to be able to communicate. So that helped me. And I did that for a number of years. I drove in the oil field and I drove for a freight company and had to deal with my customers and uh, just doing that and being around people and not, not teaching them as it were, but of course, just talking with them like, like we do uh, every day with people that made a difference. I think with, uh, the ability to connect, to use, I like to use a lot of earthy language, very uh, kind of colorful graphic language in a, in a positive sort of way to, to capture people's attention. Because, well, for one, Hebrew's like that too. Hebrew's a very earthy, very concrete kind of language. And I try to capture some of that in my, in my writing as well. And then that, I think, helps me, aids me in teaching teaching others. Yeah, so I'm not, I haven't... I, I haven't spent all all my years, in other words, in kind of an academic ivory tower. I've been just kind of uh, all all over the place. Uh, I I think that um, I think that that give it creates an opening for um, for for there to be. I guess the thing that I think is so important about um, about understanding a lot of scripture is understanding um it is as a it's a teaching um teaching you about who he is who he claims mm -hmm. to be right mm -hmm. and yeah. a lot of that claiming to be is is telling you uh, by by who he says he is right he says he's a father and and yeah. so it, it becomes really relational because he is relational right mm. and yeah. so um i think that's really cool because i get to see i see that in some of your stuff is that it's it's you know, like um, you're you're open to um, to share some of the things that that are going on in your life, right? That mm, and you've had sure. a lot going on here lately. Um, but yeah, being able to share those things, um, I think it really kind of it opens the door for that relational type of of a conversation, and it and it makes it a lot more real. I know whenever I'm sharing about uh, how I'm doing something with a horse, or I'm I'm trying to grow someone else inadvertently because i'm doing it with the horse right it's mm -hmm. always gives me an opening to be able to make it relational to them because they're sitting there riding something that's like awfully cool and created right mm -hmm. and it's really kind yeah. of hard to deny creation when you're sitting on you know a horse um, yeah as, yeah as as you know as close to the, i think that's why there's a lot of uh you can deny a lot of things right but um mm -hmm. when you're <laughs> it's really kind of hard to deny you know, creation when you're sitting on one of those, um, it, it's, that's it's easier sure. to deny it when you're sitting in a, 
you know, man-made room with a whole lot of electronics around you and whatever else. You know, to deny <laughs> yeah, you yeah. kind of get stuck looking. I think that's one of the things that's hard for people to, in urban uh, settings, um, mm -hmm. it's hard for them to have, it's easy to lose track of what is important whenever you're surrounded by man-made things. Um, oh, and, and you're yeah, surrounded yeah. by um, the writings of man instead of, you know, what are things that are just dead right there in front of you when you're sitting out there. And I, th I think we've gotten so enamored with what's man-made that when mm. you walk by a tree and you're not floored by <laughs> what it yes. does, you know, and it's just a tree, you know, it's kind of hard to, to, you know, to kind of be in awe of that. You know, yeah, we're, yeah. we're also enamored with the little black box that's in front of us all the time. <laughs> yeah, walk right by true. the tree and you're like, oh, that's a tree. But, you know, did you see what my little phone can do? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's an art, there's an artificiality, I suppose, that we, that we could say to, to that, you know, when we're staring at the phone screen or we're just uh, sitting in our in our house, we're looking at the television or wherever it is where we're cut off from the natural setting, whether it's on a hike whether it's sitting atop a horse, whether it's going out for a hunt, whatever it is, when we're connected to nature in that way, well, nature itself is kind of a, a mirror of the creator. The stuff didn't just kind of come to be. It was created by, by our, our father. And so even though nature doesn't tell us a lot about God, it certainly does tell us that there is a God. It tells us that he made this, and it tells us that he likes beautiful things. He likes intricacy. He likes to make sure that everything has its proper place. So there's a lot that we can learn from nature about God's character and about the way that he, that he approaches creation itself. And if we, if we tend to kind of surround ourselves with all these things that we have made, this, this, this artificial creation, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot easier to be blind to the fact that beyond our little puny creativity, there's a great creative God that's made all things. Yeah. I tell, uh, I, I try to spend time with my kids teaching them um, the one thing that I probably have had the most experience with is is his creation, right? And mm -hmm. um, and and I've always explained to him that that uh, that that's his that's his other revelation. Well, we get a special revelation, then we have a natural revelation. And mm -hmm. when we're reading, we're looking through what we're reading. You know, it's verified by what he's created. He's not a liar. Right. So he wouldn't yeah. create something that would be a contradiction to what he writes. So if they, you're if they don't correlate, you're probably it's your interpretation that may be a little bit <laughs> yeah. off on it. Right. right. Sure. Um, sure. But I yeah. really find that um, that it's it's uh, it's it's been it's been where I've I guess I've spent my study. Right. Is, mm. is doing with the horses. And there's been so much that's so re re revealing about his creation it's so crazy to me. I get it get it's really crazy to me. It's sometimes the debates that most people have nowadays about what if, if there is a God, and mm. and it's made me kind of go back and go like, so like, so we got to come to a lot. How do we get to that right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because that's a that's a that's an area that I just kind of took for granted on a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess with that, my. Um, because you're an, not only a scholar, but also a dad and a husband mm -hmm. and a son. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
what do you feel like is like, where's a great starting point for um, trying to teach that? Like, and sharing that with your, with your, with your, with your kids. I know that like me as a father and, and knowing you're a father too, um, it, it, that's a, that's a big, um, responsibility, mm, um, is. as a dad, right. Yeah. And as a leader of the, of the household, I think that that has been, well, right now in, in, in our world is starting to get a little muddy. Um, it is. Yeah. And unfortunately the, the lack of, a present father or a father at all is as it's not just kind of leading to family issues, but of course we see this as all kinds of societal problems. I mean, and it's not just like, Oh, you just, you, you Bob believing Christians for saying this, Hey, this is, these are, these are proven facts. You can look at the surveys uh, from completely non-religious sources, which document that if a child does not have a father growing up or not a present father, then the likelihood of all sorts of negative repercussions flowing from that are just in, indisputable. Uh, and for us anyway, we'd say, well, of course, because that is the way that God created the family to be is a mother and a father and children. Well, you take one of those out of the equation and of course you're going to have, of course you're going to have problems. Uh, but for me personally, well, I, I think the, I think for guys, one of the things to keep in mind is that, and this, this, this is obvious, but it needs to be stated. Our kids are always watching and to a large extent imitating who we are and what we do. So I could say in my own, in my own case, I grew up with a very healthy, intact family, my mom, my dad, me and my sister. And uh, one of the things that I learned early on, just simply by osmosis, as it were, by observation, by participation, is that on Sunday morning, we get up, we get ready, we go to church. When we're getting ready for uh, a meal, we all get together, and Dad says a prayer of thanksgiving for the gift of the food. And there's casual conversations where something is said about God, or a prayer is prayer is offered. Now, when you're growing up, you don't think too much about these things. You just realize after a while, this is the way that life is. This is the way that life should be. And what's happening there is just simply, simply the repetition of doing these things becomes ingrained as a, as a habit for us as we're growing up. And of course, once good habits are formed, they become kind of constitutive of who we are. They become part of who we are. And of course, bad habits can, can do the same thing. So one of the things that as dads, we need to always remember is that we are modeling. And uh, that modeling, of course, can be good, can be good or bad. And then I think also just any chance that we, that we have it doesn't have to be a 20 minute sermon that we can give our kids, but any chance we have just to offer a bit of, of wisdom or advice or insight that is reflective of who God is and who we are as his children is going to go a long way toward forming and shaping the minds and hearts of our kids to understand who God is and who they are in, in Christ. So, I mean, that's what my parents did for me. That's what I strove to do for, for my two children as well, so that you know, as through these formative early years, especially they are, they're sponges, you know, they're, they're soaking in so much. And so the more that, not that we're going to be perfect parents, of course, none of us are going to be that, but the more that we can put some positive things into that sponge that they are, the more these early years are going to shape them to become the adults that, uh, that we hope that they, that they will be. Yeah. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier whenever I was trying to get my 
audio, which I'm hoping I've got it right, but <laughs> on trying to get the audio done on, on this, that I was, uh, I'd mentioned that I think my biggest role or, or what I tried my best to do is um, in teaching my kids is um, <laughs> I try to teach them right stuff, but I, I end up finding out that I, I'm probably really the best at teaching them how to repent because I'm always, I'm always saving to be screwing things up. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I know that I, I hear it a lot from a lot of the young, younger, um, and, uh, younger people that are, are trying to find, you know, truth mm -hmm. is that, um, they see a lot of the hypocrisy, like you grew up and you see all the hypocrisy in, in, in mm -hmm. what's being said and, and yeah, in the church yeah. and stuff. Right. And that's a hard place mm -hmm. to be. Um, and I think that is like what probably helps me a lot is that I'm, I'm not good at doing things correct, but I am quick to acknowledge when I am, when I am and know where to go to. I think that's something yeah. that we don't share a lot with dads is about not, it's not about you being correct or you being perfect because it, the reality is you're not right. And the more no, you try to no. be perfect is not being a very good example. <laughs> Thank goodness <laughs> yeah. on my part, but yeah, it's yeah. not a good example, but pointing them where to find the answers are, is probably yeah. one of the most important things. Um, it is, it is absolutely. I mean, yeah, you think about it. What, of course it's, it's good to teach your kids right from wrong and to model that. Yeah, of course. But okay. The reality is, Hey, we're all sinners. We're all going to mess up all the time. So part of modeling is also the the willingness and hopefully even this the the ready willingness to say you know what i shouldn't have said that sorry i shouldn't have done that i'm sorry or i should have done this but i didn't so i'm i'm sorry and well what an impact that makes on our kids we're teaching them to be to apologize when they've done something wrong to know where to turn you know to to know that we can turn to our heavenly father and say you know father i've i've sinned and ask you to forgive me so that we're we're showing that God is not a God from whom we run when we've sinned, but the God to whom we run when we've yeah. sinned. So he's not, we don't run away from him like he's the judge, you know, with a hammer written to, to, to hit us in the head. No, we run to him because we know he's a loving father who is ready and willing to forgive us when, when we come to him. Now, I know, I mean, so I don't won't go into all the details, but in my own life, so when my, my daughter was uh, in her early teenage years, um, I, I made a really painful confession to her, uh, one, one evening about something from, from years before connected with me and her, me and her mom. And when she asked me about it, I had a couple chances. I had a couple options. I could have lied to her, you know, or I, I could have just, you know, deflected it or made excuse myself or whatever, but I, I didn't, I was forthright and I confessed and told her uh, what what I'd done, why I'd done it, and and sought her forgiveness. And I think that was a defining moment both for me and for her because it was act of confession. And she loved me, she forgave me, and uh, that that moment between us was talking about in, in not. I mean, it was it was it was wonderful. It was it was loving. It was humbling, but it was also beautiful in a way because that was the connection that that we needed. And I mean, that, that was a, a big situation between me and her uh, connected with her mom. But you could just multiply that in a million smaller ways in, in the lives of our of our parenting to where we're we're ready to 
to confess that we messed up and to ask our kids to forgive us or just to be humble enough to say, you know, we're not perfect. We mess up. Like you say, to be models of repentance, not, not models of perfection, but models of humble, humble repentance. Yeah. I, I, uh, I tell my kids that, um, that there's a way I explain to them about, you know, why you're still in this, this nature of, of still being a sinful nature and what mm -hmm. I always tell them is like, well, it's, you know, the, he leaves me in this position because it wouldn't take me but about, mm, may I'm, I'll be nice and say like, you know, at half a day to think that um, if I was perfect and he had placed me in this position and made me perfect, I'd think I'd done it. You know, I, oh, I yeah. think like I just, you know, and it wouldn't take me long to be like beating my chest going like, I got this. Just, oh, you know, like, absolutely. And, sure. Like, like, sure. Yeah. yeah. So he and I always explained to him that I spend time talking to them about, you know, like this. So there's a reason why we're not, you know, because it's pointing you to the to you have to really understand that you rely on you have to rely on him. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness he does, because I need it daily to be reminded, you know, yes, of that. Sure, and it's sure. important to me as a dad to to remind them that I need to be I need to be reminded. It's it's uh, you know it it makes sense of the humble humble you know person you know is what mm -hmm. what he seeks is the one who you know is humble about where it's and I I uh, I just think that's kind of funny that I always. I'm, I'm always like, man, it wouldn't take me long. You know, I think I'd have had this done. I got this down. Oh yeah. Way. Yeah. I think we're all like that. I mean, it wouldn't take us any time at all for, uh, I mean, it, it, well, we experience that all the time. Right. So say there's something that you really been struggling to overcome. All right. Some, whatever name the sin. And, uh, and then you finally get to the point to where, uh, you know, you, you kind of feel like maybe you've, maybe you are beginning to conquer this sin. Well, well, I mean, great, great. But what, what immediately happens when, when you get to that point, you start, you start feeling proud of yourself. <laughs> Look at me. I'm, I've conquered this sin. And then will you ride back where you started? Cause now, you know, you're, you're full of yourself. You're full of pride and arrogance. It's a good couple of days. <laughs> Like yeah I yeah so and all of a sudden i get to peel another layer off of the onion and go like there, there you go here's another yes, one yes yeah so i mean that that might kind of sound well that's sure a negative way to view life well it just it's a realistic way of viewing life and it drives home the fact that it doesn't matter if we're really struggling against the sin and fighting it or if we feel like we've overcome it and now we're filled full of, of pride and self-importance at all times we rely completely upon the grace of our loving Lord. That's kind of the that's kind of the point of all this. God is has his various ways of reminding us on an ongoing basis, whether we feel like we're losing the battle against sin or whether we feel like we've won the battle, that oh no, in the end, Chad, hey, it's 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 all me. God says, I'm I'm merciful, I'm forgiving, I'm gracious, I'm gracious to you. And we, and all we can say in the end is Amen. And and thanks be to God for that. You, um, do you find that, so I know that you, um, you follow a lot of the teachings of Luther. Um, and, and I know that there's like, there's such a, um, nowadays there's such a, 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 a desire to move away from, um, organized, a lot of organized religion and, and a lot mm. of things are pushed towards, towards being, um, 
something that's not so rigid or that's yeah. so um and or spiritual and not religious yeah yeah being yeah, a, yeah. a little more a little more loose you know yeah and, and a little yeah, more yeah, a feel yeah. and right um i have found um that my so i i actually uh i was raised in lutheran church um hmm. and so um i and, and i kind of like you know drifted around tried things out figured out you know and and was brought back oddly enough brought back through more of a prosperity gospel um oh, kind of started bringing me back on on track right and yeah, yeah. um but it was kind of a, a wild time where um i actually came went back to church with uh, my parents after like quite a few years of not being in, in the church and um and when we were singing and we were doing a couple of the uh the, there was a reading of the Nicene Creed and um and I knew it like I knew oh, it I didn't yeah, even have yeah, to yeah. think about it I knew it like it just like spell off right off the tongue right yeah, and yeah. that was a pretty revealing thing to me because at mm. that time which you know it probably sounded from somebody else that come out of didn't grow up in the church or around it that it sounded like a chanting thing or it sounded like this you know mm. these crazy different things right yeah um that uh that was a point where it was like oh i know why that was done right like i knew at yeah. that point it was like oh so like that was to teach me what i'm supposed to know like there's yeah. a reason behind it that there was something that you could hang your hat on that, yeah, that that yeah. really told you about what you did believe, like, mm -hmm. and, and gave you an idea about it. And I see that um, um, having gone to a lot of non-denominational non type of churches, um, that it leaves a lot of room for error. It, mm -hmm. it, it, it leaves a lot of room for um, there not being um, a, a foundation in um in what you do believe yeah and yeah. It, it leads for a lot of of uh for someone that's coming to a better understanding um it, it makes things really loose and and easy for someone to get off of uh, uh the interpretations and so i'm curious to how as a as a professor how do you incorporate these things as far as um teaching them in a historical uh way that is not just a with no meaning Does sure makes sense yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah so uh kind of like you mentioned the nicene creed the way i like to view things like that is uh, it, it's it's an old old image it comes from actually a, a second century teacher in the church by the name of Irenaeus. And he uses the image of a mosaic. So, of course, a mosaic is composed of lots of really small jewels and precious stones, all right? And he used the idea of that the scriptures, when you kind of summarize what they're all about, it's like a mosaic of a king, all right? And, and of course, it's comprised of all these various little parts, you know, this, this chapter, this verse, but you put them all together, and what you see, the whole story is about a king. In this case, of course, the king would be the king of kings, Christ. So... If you have in your in your mind kind of what the big picture is about, that helps you to navigate through the the smaller parts of what the scriptures are about. Okay, so one of the reasons that the church has always had these creeds or confessions is because they give us, as it were, to change the metaphor. They give us a map 
by which we can navigate our way through through the rest of the scriptures. And so what I find is that in, in teaching the Bible, the more that I can kind of give people that map, which is which is outlined in the creed, which is outlined in these these basic confessions of what Christianity is all about, the more they have that firmly in place, actually the more kind of joy and creativity there can be within that framework. So for instance, if I know the scriptures are all about Christ, then I can go to any chapter and I can understand kind of where it fits within the the mosaic, if you will. But then I can also within that understand kind of the the playfulness and the, the the various perspectives and how this connects with this all without really getting lost. I'm just understanding the big picture as well as all of these beautiful intricacies of the of the smaller picture. So creeds and things like that, these these parts of the kind of the formal confession of the church, they're they're not as it were shackling us and keeping us from kind of having a a free and a joyful Christianity. They are, as it were, the, uh, the the fence, if you will, within which these these uh, we we can we can run, we can play, we can walk, we can enjoy what God says to us in His Word without going astray, without without getting lost. Um, so I think it's it's crucial, not just important, but I think it's just crucial for us not to, as it were, pretend like we're the first generation of the church to read the Bible, which I think is what happens a lot of times, you know. So you somebody says, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up my Bible and I'm gonna read it like nobody else has ever read it before. Well, that is a it's a proof positive recipe for going into heresy. I just guarantee you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're it, and again, it, it's kind of like there's so many other parallels to this. You know, you don't have a scientist who says, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna come up with my own theories about everything science without consulting anybody else. Everybody would laugh at him. What a fool. What what does he think? Who does he think he is? You know, he's building upon all the generations of scientific research before him. It's the same with with any kind of field. You don't just simply decide, I don't really care what anybody said that came before me. I don't care, you know, what all the research has done before this. I'm just going to come up with my own idea. Well, no, that's you're going to go astray. Same with studying the scriptures. We build upon all of this wisdom of teachers uh, from from the past it doesn't mean that we fully subscribe to everything they say, but we build upon what they have done in order that we don't go astray. We can learn from them, and then you know maybe on occasion we can add a little bit of our own insight to what has been said before. God, it makes so much sense. You know, I've also I've often often looked back at like looking into church history, and mm-hmm. um, and almost felt like. A lot of the times when we've when the church has tried to um, bring in uh, like recruit or mm-hmm. or um, bring in other rituals in order to you know mesh them in together and doing all these things that I almost always uh, see it as like as almost like parents messing it up uh, <laughs> in the sense that because uh, yeah. I see it in myself right I see yeah. I see myself as a, as a dad. And and understanding now, like where I'm heading, where salvation is, or and and I want that for my children, and I mm-hmm. want I want it so bad that I want to control it. I want to I want to make it, and to the point of like I even I don't even want them to, I don't want them to have to struggle. Like I don't want them to have to. So like like if I can, 
if I can do X, Y, and Z, if you do this and you say this and you go through this and you go through that, we're like, well, then I can kind of like make this happen, right? Mm. And 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 over and over, I keep showing it to myself that um, I can't keep my kids from having a testimony. And in order to have that testimony, mm. they have to have a test. And that yeah, is like yeah. the hardest thing for a dad to go, oh, for a dad to go through. It's like, yeah. So I just want to be able to see the other side. Can I just know <laughs> for sure that you know that 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 I did my job and that I got where got them where they're? But oh my gosh, they're like, I think I have it. And they go like, Yeah, mm. yeah, okay, I get it. And then, yeah, and then, and then they don't. And I I try to control it. And so I almost like see that as the church too at times, trying to control and have like make that salvation happen, like make that understanding, you know, happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, it's funny that I, that's how I see it, but I almost have seen that as in the act of, um, teaching the catechism and we get this mm -hmm. part down and then do X, Y, and Z. And now you're good. And, yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just such, it's such a hard thing from a, for a dad's point of view on, on doing that. How, how, yeah. can, how can we, is there a better way to be able to do it? That, <laughs> if you figured something out that I haven't? Well, no, not really. I mean, so a couple of things that have helped me, uh, and just kind of in thinking through this, is it, one of them is a very, really small change that I made several years ago. So, of course, I've always, I've always prayed for my kids uh, from the time they were, they were small. But I always prayed for my son, Luke. And my daughter, Ariana. But a few years back, I don't know why, but I realized, you know what? I, I really should change that pronoun. I shouldn't be praying for my son, Luke, and for my daughter, Ariana. But I should be praying to God for our son, Luke, and for hard our daughter, Ariana. Because the God to whom I'm speaking is actually more their father than I am. Yeah. So, and I made, I did make that change. I started praying for our son and for our daughter. And that helped me, just that slight change helped me with an ongoing awareness of the fact that, yeah, God has made me their father, but I am, as it were, entrusted with a stewardship with regard to them. So God is much more their father than I am. And what he's given to me is a stewardship or responsibility to make sure they eat, <laughs> make sure they have clothes to wear, make sure they learn right from wrong, do my best uh, as, a, as a very imperfect earthly father to get them on the right path, teach them about God, all those sorts of things. And then there comes a point, though, where, you know, it's I, I can only do so much. And uh, I'm, I'm raising two human beings who are going to very quickly, not just when they're 18, but very quickly begin to make their own decisions and to go their own ways. And of course, eventually they'll become, well, they'll be out of the nest and doing their own thing. And even when that happens, though, to remember that even if they're not around me, that their heavenly father is always around them and that ultimately it's it's his love and his responsibility for them that, that matters that matters the most and that has actually helped me a lot uh, so uh probably most of the people listening to your podcast don't know me uh, and don't know what's happened in my life the last six months but uh luke that i mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago 
our son, as I would pray for him, Luke, uh, he was taken home by his heavenly father uh, this past July. He was a uh, kind of between his second and third year at the United States Naval Academy, was studying abroad in Chile, was on a hike, and just slipped and and at, at a very, very, very tall waterfall. He slipped, he fell to to his death, which of course, as a, as a parent, is our worst fear. I've never talked to a parent who has a worse fear than that of losing one of your one of our children. And uh, needless to say, my life will never be the same because that's a gap that is never filled within within my heart. And it's been a very, very hard six months. Uh, but it would have been much, much worse had I not known that Luke wasn't just my son, but our son. So I know that even though he was taken from me in this life, his heavenly father took him to himself, and he's with that heavenly father. And so, as, as you know, as hard as that is, as any parent who's lost a child knows, and as deep as the grief is, and as much as I miss him, uh, I know that he's safe and sound with his, with his heavenly father. And uh, and I know that now our daughter, who is married and living in, in, in uh, Salt Lake City, that she's fine. And she's still here with us and very grateful for that. And I pray that she has a very long and a wonderful life. And But I know that whatever happens in this life or after I'm already gone, that God is going to be her heavenly father and is going to care for, care for her too. So that for me is what has made all the difference is knowing, I guess, what you might call the limitations of my fathering. So I can only do so much and I'm going to try and do as best I can. But there are limits to what I can do and who I am. But there are no limits to God as our Heavenly Father and what He's able to to do for for His children. Oh, you know, I think you are right, one hundred percent. Like I can't imagine like that would be a, a bigger fear um, of any of any of, of any good father that had his yes, parents, sure, his, uh, sure, for his children. Um, yeah. I had uh, so we don't know each other super well or whatever, but, um, getting to know each other a little bit. Um, mm. my, I have, I have four kids and all four of my kids are adopted. And, um, and so it's been, and that's kind of been a theme throughout, you know, throughout the scriptures too, is adoption. And it's been yes, a big part. Yes. And so it was been, it was a lot easier for me, um, to not, to really see them as like his children and mm. as like as a gift for me to be, you know, like that was, that was, he was theirs. Right. Yeah. Um, so much. So my, my daughter, uh, she, when she's, uh, my youngest one, she's, uh, she's now 13, 12. And, uh, but, uh, when I, I first got her, like, oh, I guess it was probably like eight years ago or something like that. She was, she had gone, she was going to school and she came back from school and one of her kids, one of her friends at school said, uh, or I guess it wasn't really a good friend or anything, but the little girl told her that, um, made mention that she was adopted and that, uh, mm. that she was just a kid that was adopted from, from, uh, services. And, mm. uh, and I, and, and it was like, oh, why did that kid say that to my kid? And so, but I told her, I said, well, you know, you just need to, next time that it comes up, you know, you just need to tell her that your father, you know, chose you and hers is stuck with her. <laughs> that's a pretty good comeback to, what the nicest thing probably to say teach my kid but it was such a it was it was a thing that she it 
it really made a big difference for her to understand that she was chosen, uh, right? That, that yeah. not only is, is am I your dad, but I, I chose to be your dad. And so it was a big mm. thing for me to be able to um, to realize and be able to say, like, I mean, like you're, you're a gift, right? Mm. And I think yeah. sometimes as fathers and, and parents, period, we kind of forget. You can't forget that it is that it, you know, they are a gift and it's something that, you know, you're entrusted with and it's really not yours. You know, I get to claim, I get to claim the, um, uh, my, my, uh, second son, um, is like really good at sports. So I always claim his abilities, you know, like <laughs> kind of got it from me kind of deal. Yeah. But then when they're acting up, I always blame it on the wife and like, well, it's probably from her input that's causing that. But, uh, but it's, it's really funny to see. Um, yeah, I do have, even though genetically they're not, um, I do have such a play in that. And, and, mm. uh, and it is, it really is a gift. I mean, it really, you know, the hard, the hard one for me, and I see it with my kids, you know, that they are a gift for sure. Um, mm. and I, but I forget at times how much of a gift my wife is. And that's where I like, uh, I, I forget that one quite often. <laughs> I need to be I think, reminded of that. I think we husbands often do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So knowing that, um, kind of in our world today, in our society today, um, there's a lot of young men. Um, me and I was lucky to. I, I, I've i still good friends with my father. Um, we still talk mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And and I had I think like you, I had a I had an upbringing where I had an intact family. My my mom and dad are still married after like I don't know how many years. Like it's got to be fifty. Um, mm-hmm. pretty close to it. Um, and uh, and so growing up in that intact family and and having a good father role. Um, and not perfect, but, you know, definitely, um, definitely knew, you know, where he came from and who, where he's going, um, made a, gave me some really good examples. And, and I wonder, um, you know, without that and seeing that there's a lot of parts of, uh, parts of our society today, there were, there's a, so many broken homes and, and a, so many young men venturing out to be fathers, right. Starting the process of being a father, um, that don't have that, that didn't grow up with a father in the household. Um, scripturally and from, from the old Testament, we see a lot of failed fathers <laughs> in there too. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and, mm-hmm. but we also have a, an example of a, of a good father. Um, I'm curious of what, what you found in scripture in the old Testament that really kind of speaks to that. I mean, is there, is it just that he calls himself father for, for no reason? Or I mean, is it, what is it really revealing to us? Yeah, I think uh, it, it, well, first of all, it isn't just a metaphor, which sometimes, sometimes people kind of reduce it to that. Oh, God is only saying he's a father, but it's just, you know, metaphorical. He could have, he could have said that he was a mother. He could have said whatever. <laughs> no, well, no, you, you you can't simply flatten this out and say that it's sort of just a uh, you know a, a metaphor that could have been taken or taken or leaving. No, the left. The reason that God chose that is because it's it's revealing about who He is. So uh, one of the things that a father does, of course, 
in the very act of being a father is he brings forth, right? You don't, you don't become a father simply by being a man. You become a father by having a child. And so even on the, in the inner life of the Trinity, the reason that God is called a father is because he's eternally begotten his son. So he's not just kind of a, uh, uh, a unitarian deity. There is a dis there's this distinction within God where you have Father, you have Son, you have Holy Spirit, and so God is called Father because He's eternally begotten His Son. He's brought forth His His Son, who like Him is fully divine uh, and eternal. So there is this, uh, and one of the beautiful things about that is that that means that we can say that God is love. So if God were just simple a simple unitarian being with no distinctions within Him from all eternity, well. Who's he going to love? <laughs> no one. There is no one to love. But since God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is this love between the three persons of the Trinity. And so part of being God the Father is he loves and he he generates, he brings forth. Wow. And also there is this, there is the built into being a father, also this providential caring for, providing for, leading of course, that's also something that God does. He provides for his people, Israel. He provides for his church. He's always caring for and, and protecting those that that are his own, that are his that are his children. And then that becomes that heavenly reality becomes a model for the ideal model, at least, for what is happening here in this world, where we bring forth our children. And we care for them, and and then we protect them, so that and you know as 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 limited and imperfect a way as we are able to do, we mirror here on earth what is happening with our heavenly Father. You know, is that something that's just missed in in the Hebrew religion in in the Jewish religion that they just assume that that's just a it's a inference of him as a father is just kind of what they call him. Or, I mean, to me, it, it seems to speak to even in the, in all of the old Testament, all of the people at that time, he was telling you something by saying that he's a father being mm -hmm. that he's going to have a son <laughs> like that. Yes. Revealing <laughs> right. about that. And I, I think that's something for men now about the, the inference of calling himself father. Mm -hmm. Um, is showing you what love looks like mm, yes. that it's not it's not accepting of something that you're doing wrong right mm -hmm. it's uh he's long suffering you know he, mm. meaning you know in layman's terms he puts up with your junk for a long time longer than right? he probably ought to yes so it tells you <laughs> me as a dad like i i gotta put up with some of it like i told you mm. five times you know to do this and <laughs> You know, and it, so that's what a father's role is, is to, is to be long suffering, mm. but that's because that's what love looks like because yes, he, yes. like, I think that's something that always talks to me and speaks to me is like, man, he puts up with my, for 53 years, he has put up with my <laughs> silliness. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. And it just tells me like, how long am I going to have to put up with my son's, you know, my own son's silliness at times. But, but that's who he is. And, mm, and, yes. and that's our example. We culture today is telling you something different that, you know, it's about you. And it's when you learn that sacrifice is what you're about as a father and putting up with this, this silliness over time, because he's puts up with yours. 
I yeah. I mean, well, what is love? Love is seeking the good of another, right? And so, <laughs> as as we love, we seek the good of as a father, we seek the good of our children. Well, that doesn't mean, of course, that we let them do whatever they want to do because that's not love. That's the exact opposite. I mean, Hebrews even talks about how no one, no father who never disciplines his son is loves the child. We we establish boundaries and we teach them right from wrong. And there's some discipline and there's repercussions when they when they do things that are wrong because we love them. I mean, that that's the way love is expressed. We're seeking what's good for them. And the only way we can do that is by at times stepping in and saying, no, you can't do that. Oh, no, that's not right. Or no, in the end, that's 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 not going to be good for you. I mean, that's with especially with younger kids. If 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 a father refuses to ever to ever say stop or to ever prevent them from doing certain things, and basically just kind of lets them, you know, be feral, <laughs> do whatever they want. Well, what you're creating in that young child is a monster of an adult that no one will want to be around. So the part of what we're teaching kids, especially when they're very young, is how to interact socially with other children in order that when they get older, people will want to be around them and be their friends and they'll have relationships. But if if we don't do that when they're younger, well, they're going to grow up becoming very selfish, all about themselves and the kind of people that no one will really want to be around. No one will be in a relationship. No one will want to be friends with. And therefore, they will be probably lonely, bitter people. So even though when they're kids, of course, they're not going to like it when we say, no, you can't do that or don't do that or be nice or whatever. They don't like that. But ultimately, it's we're seeking their good because we're not just raising a child. We're raising an adult, this child who's going to one day eventually grow up and be a, a functioning and hopefully a positive member of member of society. And so we express our love for them by forming and shaping them to become the people that they will be when they are adults. Uh, it's, it's such a cool, you know, when you start to see, um, you start to see your, your own reflection in the story, right. Is where it just <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. like starts to come alive. It's really where it gets to be a lot of fun. Um, and hard and revealing at times too, but, um, but it does. Yeah. Uh, and and I, my youngest son, um, I always say that like when I did get him, he was feral. Uh, it was full mm-hmm. on feral because it was, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, he got to do whatever he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's a, that's, so that's a struggle that I've had in, in, in with him is, is like the balance, right. Trying to find that balance. Yeah. And, and then in his bodies, it is, I didn't have, I didn't have that reference because my dad, you know, I wasn't adopted. I didn't have those. We didn't have as much, but I think I was, I think I was a little harder to deal with when I was growing up. It, it didn't seem like it when I was at that age, but it seems like it now <laughs> looking back, I, yeah. I see a lot more yeah. of the struggle that my dad had. Um, yeah. But I do see it uh, as, as that, you know, something that he, I have to work on with him um, because it is, uh, it was kind of working backwards. Um, sure. I had to yeah. undo, undo stuff. Um, which is always harder than starting from scratch. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just, it's more difficult. Yeah. I mean, learned behaviors are difficult to unlearn. doesn't mean they can't be, it just means you got more of a, more of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, that's okay. But, but I think, um, boy, that can be a helpful deal for a lot of young, 
young fathers um, starting out. It's it's such a good understanding of seeing your father in heaven's patience with you is such a mm. good example of, you know, yeah. and sacrifice. Like, mm. I mean, you know, it's all over. It's, oh, I yeah. think that's one of the things that's really kind of crazy that I see in the old Testament is that like, it's, um, and I think you do such a great job of doing it is, is finding the Christology in the old Testament, like that. It's so, it's so right in your face. And, and, and like how I've walked by it for so many years and never like really seen it is really kind of crazy. It's crazy how that, how that works. My wife, my wife always, she's, she's the, she's the intelligent one. She's the one that's smart and, and has a lot more, uh, her vocabulary is a lot bigger than mine is a lot larger. And she'll say, she'll come up with a word. She'll say, you know, something. And all of a sudden she's like, you know, well, and she'll come up with, you know, some other word. And I'm like, you made that up. There's no, there's no way that's a real word. I've never heard that word before in my entire life. And, and, and I think you've made that up and I'll sure enough, I'll look it up and it's like, wow, it's a real world. For real world. Like, I swear she made it up. And as soon as she says it, I see it everywhere for like the next month. Everybody's using it. I've done, word. I can't tell you how many times this happened to me. I'll think I've, I'll think I've never heard that word in my life and same thing. And I'll look it up and I'm like, well, I guess that is a word. I guarantee you over the course of the next couple of months, I will see it three or four times inevitably, yeah. but yeah. you're right. Yeah. You just, it, it, there's so much of life is like that. Once you finally see something, you see it everywhere, but until you get to that, that defining moment of actually seeing it or learning it, then you dismiss it. Yeah. And isn't that the same thing right with the scripture? Yes, absolutely. It's a, that's a great analogy. That's a great analogy. Once you see Jesus, uh, once you kind of get that that insight that Christ is the, as I like to call him, he's the fulfillment and the fullness of the scriptures. Once you get that, or to, to, to use the image of a key, once you see he's the key, well, you start sticking him in any lock, uh, any chapter of the Old Testament and turning and wow, the door opens. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay. So he's there. He's So he's the ultimate sacrifice that Leviticus always talks about. Uh, he's the king that all these terrible kings of the old testament or <laughs> these these shadows of you know he's he's this he's that he's everything that uh is a kind of a pencil sketch in the old testament that he then is in in full color when he when he comes yeah i i uh i always i used to always sit back and go like man when those guys are wandering around and in, in, in for 40 years like you know how silly do they have to be that they keep messing that stuff up right it's just it's right there don't you know don't you know and yeah. um and then i see the same thing that in myself is like man because you walking around for 53 years <laughs> and, and you like it was right in front of your eyes too right and yeah. we were i've been looking at um i was in the part of of uh, where abraham uh sacrifice takes isaac up to first sacrifice mm -hmm. and the symbolism is so overwhelming and mm, it is i just the three days the carrying the wood you know isaac carrying yeah. the wood i mean like yeah it, sure. it, it, it is like it's non-stop and mm. where you know before all i could see was like why is he having to you know like what a terrible thing you know mm. but it it's so revealing over and over and I start to see it. So it's like, it, I, I think it's such a cool deal. It's like, it just keeps boom, popping up, popping up, popping up, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, and I guess that's what I hope in 
this podcast is that if there's a little something that goes like, oh, so that's why he called himself father. It wasn't just a, you know, if the word meant so much and it always has been so important, he wouldn't have just said that for no reason. It wouldn't mm. have just been, you know, he could have saw called himself uncle. Why didn't he call himself uncle? <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well. Well. Hopefully, uh, some of those insights will uh, will kind of turn that light bulb on in certain certain people's minds. That would be great. That's uh, that's yeah. what the conversation is all about. Yeah. Well, I just I'm I'm glad to have you on. I'm th I thank you for your time. And um, but I also wanted to uh, you know I think. I think sometimes we get to where we get so enthralled with something we don't realize or don't get a little bit of feedback. And I know you get feedback on, on a lot of your social media stuff and, and it, and that's always so good. And so, and, but it's always kind of nice to have a little bit of a, an encouraging talk to like, man, it, it oh, does, it yeah. reaches, it, it reaches out and it, and it really does. And being able to share that, like, I think it is so needed right now. Um, and man, I was one of those guys. I am like, I'm so against trying to uh, like, I fight the social media thing and so much so that it almost like, you know, like what I'm not, I'm not going to put anything. Last thing I'm going to do is do anything on TikTok, I'm like TikTok, I'm not, I'm not. but you know, I keep, I keep thinking about it and more I'm like, yeah, it's not, it's not supposed to hide this under a lampshade either. You know, so I'm like, <laughs> right. darn, it's another, it's another deal. It's like, Sticking at it me again. It was like, well, I don't know. So I've, I'm, I'm actually reconsidering some of this stuff on, on being able to share it in, in different venues because, um, I'm, I, 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 um, I've lived my whole life being pretty bold about a lot of stuff. And, um, and I think it's, uh, that putting myself out there is probably what I ought to be doing a little bit more of. And, and if I'm trying to follow the suit a little bit of what I'm seeing in yours, like how you have an opportunity to be able to reach. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of the way I've viewed it. Uh, any any venue I have where I can put Christ, the scriptures out there, even if it might have some, you know, problematic features, uh, I'm going to go ahead and do it that way. The people who are there, I mean, that's where people are. So if that's where people are, then that's where I want to to share the riches and just sow the seed, let God do the work. Yeah. And uh, I think it's great. I think it's great that you what you're doing. And um gosh, we, we do need more truth. And even if it is in the social media area or wherever it yeah, is, right. it's yeah. supposed to be. So, um, yeah. so thanks for being on. And I, and I, I really want to encourage you to you know what you're doing, you're reaching a lot and it's really, really kind of cool. So thank you. I appreciate thank you. It. Well, the, yeah, well, the, the conversation has been really encouraging. Appreciate Good. it. Good. That's what I hope. I hope it does that too. So thanks, Chad. I appreciate it.